Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 35 of the Addicted Mind podcast. My name's Duane Osterland, and I'm your host, and I'm also the co-founder of Novus Mindful Life Institute Family Counseling and Recovery Center in Long Beach, California. If you're struggling with addiction, please reach out to us. We can help. You can find more about us at theaddictedmind.com forward slash help. So I'm very excited to introduce our next guest, Dr. Pamela Peake. She is author of the best-selling book, The Hunger Fix, and she's gonna come on today's show and talk about food addiction. Now, this is an issue that is near and dear to my own heart, so I was very excited to have Dr. Pete come on and talk about the brain science of food addiction, and there's a lot of good information in this episode, so I really hope you guys enjoy it. Let's start this episode. All right, everybody, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. This is episode 35, and I have a wonderful guest today. Her name is Dr. Peak, and she is author of The Hunger Fix. And it is about, it's a comprehensive book about the science of food addiction. And Dr. Peak, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Um, you want to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about you as we get started? Hey, thanks a lot. I'm, I'm really enjoying this because anytime I get a chance to be able to help people understand what's going on with themselves, especially when it comes to food addiction, um, it just gives me nothing but pleasure. So my name is Dr. Pamela Peak, and um, I am a, a physician, a scientist, a Pew Foundation scholar in nutrition and metabolism, and a fellow of the American College of Sports Medicine because I like to really look at things in a much more comprehensive lifestyle, healthy lifestyle way. So it's not just about what you put in your mouth. It's it's how you're really framing out how you live on a day-by-day basis. I got involved with a whole issue of food addiction when new science came out showing for the first time in history that food addiction was real. I happened to live near the National Institutes of Health where I was a senior research scientist for years. And one of my neighbors is Dr. Nora Volkel, who is the director 
of the National Institute of Drug Abuse. And she and I have talked many times about this whole issue of food and addiction, addictive eating behavior. So when I wrote The Hunger Fix, I got a chance to be able to fold into it a lot of the hot new science that was coming out, as well as her original work in the field, showing again for the first time, peering into the reward center of the brain and showing us what was really transpiring and helping us understand what we can actually do about it as an addictive behavior. That is awesome. That's why I wanted to have you on the podcast so bad, because I really wanted to talk about how, especially I think I've read a lot about how sugar impacts the brain and that this just isn't about necessarily just willpower, that there's biological things going on. So I'd love to talk you know, more about that and kind of get into detail about that as well. Okay. So let's just start with the basics, right? And the reason why this is important for your podcast is it's not just for people who have addictive eating behaviors, many of whom are completely average weighted. Right. You know, you just have to be obese. You could just have sort of really disordered eating and pass for normal, but you're not. And you know it. But clearly, another thing that's um, important here for your podcast, since you really look at addiction per se, is that food, especially highly sugary, highly palatable food, and that's code for processed junk, uh, both food and beverage, is the number one transfer addiction or cross addiction once you're in recovery. So you see people going through recovery and rehab and, and detox and back and forth, and they're coming off everything from heroin to meth to alcohol, opioids, and more, all kinds of interesting combinations thereof. And what do they reach for? They reach for more coffee than you've ever seen in your life uh, to keep themselves, as it were, stimulated. And then they put in maybe about a mountain and a half of sugar into their coffee. If they're not already guzzling Red Bull or or some high, highly sugary, um, highly caffeinated energy drink, which is what I've seen in the rehabs that I've worked with. I mean, just ridiculous amount goes through people. Because they figure this is a legal addiction. This is they can get away with it because they're certainly not robbing a bank or their mother, or they're not getting in trouble with the law. So what the heck? Um, it's better than heroin, and it's better than cocaine, and and God knows what else. So that's why this whole issue of addictive eating and food addiction per se really spans the gamut from those who are in recovery for other substance abuse to um, people who've never had that issue, but have the issue with just eating per se. So whatever I'm going to tell you, right, applies to both groups, right? And so that's important. So what's going on? The reward center of the brain is uh, tells you through a neurotransmitter, the sort of lusty and pleasure neurotransmitter called dopamine, that something's going on that you find pleasurable. It could be a picture of your firstborn. It could be the best sunset you've ever seen. And it could be chewing into an apple after you haven't eaten for a while and, oh my gosh, does that taste good. Now, the level of happiness and reward you feel at that time, right, is, is kind of what I love to call the apple level. 
which means that it's not over the moon, it's not insane, and it's certainly not putting your brain into some kind of vice-like grip of craziness. It's just, wow, that's really cool. So is it is it kind of like, um, it's not going to create that high that you would get from a drug, but it's just enough to kind of get you stimulated in some way, especially if you're, if you're, if you're feeling a little depressed or you're in recovery or anxiety or... Or, or if you just want to have an apple. It just tastes great. And it's a, <clears throat> an apple level of reward. It's, it's not crazy off the wall because you see, the reason why I brought you, I brought those examples is they're all natural. Right, right. It's natural to look at a baby. It's natural to look at a sunset. It's natural to eat an apple. So your brain, its primal software has been created to deal with natural levels of high. Of course I feel high when I look at a gorgeous sunset. Of course I feel high when I look at a firstborn. You know, that type of thing. All right. Now, when you have the people who run into problems are those people who are already geared up for addiction, i.e. they're in recovery from other stuff, and or people who have addictive tendencies genetically. You know, my mother was an alcoholic. My father was um, a drug addict and all the rest of it. Well, chances are there's a very good chance, not always, that you're carrying a lot of those genes right now. Whether they express or not is a whole different ballgame. That's all about lifestyle and environment. So what ends up happening is in the vulnerable brain, in the vulnerable brain, okay, if that brain exposed now to uh, processed, hyperpalatable foods, processed is the key word here, not an apple, but processed. So we're going with the Twinkies and the Cheetos and uh, all that stuff and the Ho-Hos and God knows. Anyway, oh my gosh, I just rhymed. So what ends up happening is the brain, since it was really geared for the apple level of reward, is now hit with chemicals. Boom. And I had to clap my hand on that one. The reason why is because now the brain is, what the heck is that? And now the level of reward is way up on the ceiling somewhere, if not beyond. And because Now what you're saying is, wow, that's super, super, super sweet or super salty or super fat or all of the above if you have a Snickers bar because it's got everything in it, okay? And the food industry deliberately put all that stuff together to give us the highest level of a bliss point, which is a food industry term for really nailing it in your reward center. So now when you feel that and if you have a vulnerable brain, right? Then you're going to say, oh my gosh, bag the apple, the kid in the sunset. I want more of that, which is why in addiction per se, you throw out everything else in your life because nothing gives you a higher high than the heroin, the meth, the alcohol, and in this case, the processed foods that you're getting from all of that versus the apple, the kid in the sunset. So. In a non-vulnerable brain, you have a Snickers bar, you're like, well, that was interesting. And you walk away, you're like, eh, 
in a meh, who cares? The vulnerable brain, you're off and running. You're off, yeah. And I've definitely seen that in, in addiction treatment where they're getting into recovery, they're making these changes, but then this kind of, and what you point out, that kind of food, this processed, which they, I, I think they've researched to make what you said, bliss point, and this vulnerable brain, it's like, wow, this is great. And uh, I'm in recovery and I'm already kind of not maybe feeling the greatest. And uh, a little bit more of this food just kind of helps me out. Well, it gets you, you know what it does is you've got the apple high, the apple reward high. You've got the heroin high. What's in between, right? It's the processed food high, right? Right, so, right. So that's why I called it a legal high because it's food. I mean, everyone looks at it and blows it off like, oh my gosh, at least you're not robbing your mother. Well, okay, let's think about this, right? What you're doing is you're killing yourself with, with processed food and tsunamis of it. Right. So you're going to guzzle the sugary sodas and you're going to get that Red Bull down and all those high-level energy drinks and continue to eat junk, which is why when you come into recovery, you pack on pounds. Right. And I was thinking as you're, as you're talking too, a lot of people didn't think food was addictive. I mean, that it was, it was something that uh, you just have to have a little bit more willpower. But it sounds like what you're saying is that this processed food actually impacts the brain in a, in a heightened sense. In a in heightened a drug way. sense. In a drug sense. Like a drug sense. And, and this is why I'm trying to say that when you're, when you're talking about this, right, I don't use the word food. I actually say that most of what you're putting in your mouth, if it's processed food, are science fair projects. These are, as Michael Pollan, who's written some great stuff, once wrote, these are food-like products. Food-like products. I, that's a good term. Or science fair projects. God knows what they are. All I know is that it's not whole food, and therefore... It will take you to the higher level of reward, which is drug-like. It's drug-like, okay? And so it's really important to understand, right, that there are two categories. One is whole food that's delicious, natural. Your body gets it. It's at the apple level of reward. And then you've got processed stuff, all right? It's the processed stuff that you got to ditch. I mean, it's just now the food industry is not stupid. So what they've done is they put salt, fat and sugar into everything that moves It's probably in your wallpaper. It's in ketchup. It's in salad dressings. You can't escape it. So just when you think you've got yourself in a, a really great place and you're under control and then you ordered that salad dressing at the restaurant and boom. You got a big smack in the head and, and then it's really difficult. So it's one thing to say no to alcohol and to say, no, I'm not going to ever visit my pusher again. And I'm just simply not going to do heroin, the rest of it. Good luck with food because they've got it tainted everywhere. So what it means is you have to be more hyper vigilant about what you put in your mouth. And if you're cooking it yourself, if you're putting the ingredients in yourself and if you're 
really doing a lot of due diligence on where you shop and what you buy, then it's going to be much easier. But welcome to society where no matter where you go on every single corner, right, there's there's temptation. And it's like, um, because definitely food has always been an issue for me. And I know sugar has always been an issue for me. And when I get away from the sugar, it takes about three or four days. I feel a lot better. But then as soon as I ingest any kind of sugar, I'm back. It's like, boom, my brain's back into that desiring that uh, Snickers bar again. And it kind of becomes very compulsive. Right. It's almost like uh, your brain is like craving it. So the answer, it is. It's very much craving it. No different than if you'd had alcohol and you're an alcoholic. I mean, of course it's going to crave it. So now what you do is you start switching everything out. You still want to have pleasure. You still want to have a deliciousness in life. But what I wrote in The Hunger Fix is an entire program of how you switch things out. So, for instance, you could even still have chocolate. You're just not going to have the cheap stuff that's primarily uh, processed sugar. Now what you're going to have is uh, our bars or little chips or back and forth that are at least 70 to 72 percent cacao. Um, which is the amount of chocolate in them. And then if you read the label, you'll find that there's very little sugar in that. But, oh boy, do you get a chance to experience some fabulous chocolate. Do you, like, bury yourself in chocolate? No, because you still want to be able to watch the portions. But it's so much easier to do when you're not triggered, when you're not triggered. So when a lot of people say, well, they fool themselves, See, food's a little more challenging, right? You know, heroin's either there or it's not, right? Right. You're either going to have way too much completely uncontrolled sex or not. You're either, it's pretty obvious, okay? But when people have some kind of food in front of you, and if you look at it, you have to use some trial and error here and ask yourself two questions. Very simple. The first question is, If I consume this food and or beverage in front of me, will I feel out of control? Okay, and and that's a very important question. And you have to tell your true truth. Don't be lying to yourself like, oh, my gosh, I can handle this. And then, of course, you're off and running on a binge. Okay, tell your true truth. This is the hard truth of it. Will you feel out of control? The second question. If I consume whatever food and or beverage in front of me, will I feel shame, blame, and guilt? Okay. The usual answer is yes to both of those or no to both of those. If the answer is yes, run. Whatever's sitting in front of you doesn't work for you. All right. And you have to say this to yourself, whether honestly it's, it's drugs, alcohol, sex, or food. You know, sometimes you just have to remind yourself, wait a minute, I'm going to be out of control and I'm going to feel shame, blame, and guilt. So when I wrote The Hunger Fix, I put those questions in there and it's actually based upon the Yale Food Addiction Scale. And this was actually obviously created at Yale University. And this has been used as a research tool and it's actually quite long and comprehensive. 
I said, bag all that. Let's get it down to two, two questions. Something, something can re- anybody can remember out there. When you're so, just- th- so this is like a good tool for them just to start like really thinking about as they start to, if they're struggling with food, to be able to kind of just look at immediately, ask this question to yourself and maybe start to see what's going on. Absolutely. And it's just, it's like a friendly tool. It's a way to rein it in. Because you see, when you're in full-on full addictive mode, right, um, it affects not just your reward center. It affects the CEO of the brain right behind your forehead. It's called the frontal cortex. It, and the frontal cortex is the largest part of the brain, and it has in it the capacity to be able to plan, strategize, organize, make the right decision, think it through. Okay, and it reigns in irritability, impatience, and impulsivity, the three I's. Okay, now when you're in full on addiction, the CEO of the brain is full on impaired. It cannot function. So that's why when you kept saying willpower, that's a laugh. Right. Where do you think willpower comes from? That part of the brain. So discipline, willpower, determination, focus out the window. Instead, what you've got is a nightmare. You've got this, you're completely chaotically out of control. Nora Volkall, Dr. Volkall, who, as I said, was the director of the National Institute of Drug Abuse, she is, in her brain scans, which you can see in my book, they're just extraordinary. What you look at is the reward center of the brain. You look at different brains of different people. If you look at a normal person who's non-addictive, that's the definition in this case, non-addictive, and you show them something pleasurable, you know, picture their grandchildren or, you know, that sunset or whatever it may be. Okay, now you inject each of these people with a special radionucleotide that lights up where in the reward center dopamine comes rushing out and it bonds with the receptors. Because you see, when the neurotransmitter bonds with its own receptor, that's when you get the, ah, pleasure. If it doesn't bond with the receptor, okay, and and or you're not getting enough dopamine coming out, you got yourself some problems. You're not going to feel much of any pleasure. All right, now let's look at the other brains in this scan. If you look at those brains, there's one that is uh, a a cocaine um, addict, full-on addiction. They're not in rehab yet, full-on addiction. And then we take another person who's got a meth head, and we got another one who's obese, who meets the criteria of the Yale Food Addiction Scale. Now, we're going to look at the peer inside and see what their reward center looks like. Now, over time, if you keep hammering the reward center constantly with mountains of drugs and alcohol and processed food, what happens is it becomes overwhelmed. When it becomes overwhelmed, a survival reaction of the reward center of the brain is to decrease the total number of receptors of dopamine because it says in its primal little brain, right? It says, wow, you're getting way too overstimulated. So in order to reduce the overstimulation, we're going to have to reduce the number of receptors, and this way you won't feel that high. Well, over time, 
instead of having uh, 10 billion receptors, you have three. I'm just being extreme is to get the point across. All right, now check this out. Now when you're re-exposed to drugs, alcohol, sex, or in processed food, do you think for one minute you're going to feel the same level of pleasure that you felt the very first time you got high? Uh-uh. Why? Because over a long period of time of doing this to yourself, you now have three receptors left. You're going to feel nada. So the joke is, and here's what's so powerful. Dr. Volkel found that the reason people stay in their addiction is not because it's so fantastically pleasurable and they just absolutely have to keep up their pleasure. Uh Uh-uh. The reason why they stay in their addiction is because withdrawal is hell. That's why they stay in it. So that's why that whole period, say, for instance, in food addiction, right, you, you, you can soften the blow by simply immediately doing switch outs. So, for instance, instead of having mountain horrible candy and cookies and cake that are just all processed crap you buy at the 7-Eleven, why not now buy some higher level, right, um, 70 to 75 percent um, cacao in your in your chocolate bar and have that instead. Oh, now we like it. Now we're getting both reward. It's delicious, but we're not getting that terrible process reward. We're getting awful close to the apple reward again, but it tastes fantastic. And then you don't feel deprived. Okay, I want to deprive you of cocaine. I'm sorry, but that's the way it's going to come down, right? You have to be deprived of heroin and meth and and opioids. You have to, because that's all just bad stuff, all right? So the switch off there is immediately to get on to healthy nutrition, healthy physical activity, boatloads of mindfulness, meditation, spirituality, and a lot of psychological support. And honey, you'll be just fine. Thank you. Okay. But when it comes to food, you got to eat. I can't. Right. So it's all switching it out. It's becoming really good at switching it out. So in the hunger fix, I have a whole game plan for how you switch it out. And it is the best. And then you'll think to yourself, I don't feel deprived at all. I feel really good, actually. So I'm good with this. Does this slowly, like when they do this, after as they switch out these foods, does that slowly shift the brain back? Yes. Or help them kind of get closer to where the apple is like good? Yes. Well, here's the good news. Of course, I'd never write a book about this unless there was a happy ending. So I'm smiling here out there on podcast land. All right. So- What happens is if you don't keep hammering it with processed food, right, or in this case, drugs and alcohol and whatever, if you stop hammering it, the dopamine receptors come back. Now, do they come back to the complete, absolute, total number you started with? Who knows? Because the first time we ever met you, you were addicted. So I don't know what you were to start with. But the good news is it'll come back in a big way. And it'll be come back in enough where suddenly that sunset's looking awfully good, that baby is looking awfully good, 
the apple is just the most delicious thing on the planet, right? And also, here's where relapse is the highest. Because think about it. When you think about um, all the people who've ever gone into famous celebrities, stars, singers, musicians, all of them, whenever they've had the worst time, it comes within about, I'm thinking of Amy Winehouse, for instance, it comes within about three months of coming out of rehab. Why? Let's all think about this. Their dopamine receptors are starting to build back. They're starting to feel more pleasure from life and stuff in general. And if, God forbid, they get re-exposed to the original issue, which could be anything from drugs, alcohol, whatever, processed food, in the first place, now the pleasure is higher than it was before you started the recovery process. And this is where they go, oh my God, I haven't felt this in so long. And then you OD and that's the end of the ball game. So in the case of food, you binge and you may binge forever. So that's why the switch out, having a supportive environment, exercising, getting more mindful, really going into the why you started this in the first place kind of thing. I'm very, very trauma-based. So really understanding how the, you were saying like trauma, really understanding why this, uh, why food has become so powerful in other ways, underlying ways. Well, check this out. All across addiction per se, trauma is huge. A history of trauma. Now what you call trauma and what someone else calls trauma, it's, it's in the eyes of the beholder. Okay. So uh, Sue Ma- uh, Mason at the Harvard uh, Medical School uh, did a study with the nurses study, and this is primarily women. And what she was able to find was that those women who had a history of childhood and adolescent trauma, especially childhood, right, had a 90%, that's 90% increase in addictive eating and food addiction. 90%. Because wow. When you're only five years old and you're getting beaten up and thrown in an ER in a hospital, when you're 12 years old and you're getting sexually molested by your dad or something, whatever the trauma may be between you and me, it could be that the divorce of your parents was ridiculously hard and terrible and you were like being thrown between both of them and whatever. It could be horrible verbal and intellectual abuse. It's all of the above. Right? When you're doing that, what do you think you turn to? It's food is a primal reward. Actually, the two most primal rewards are food and sex. When you're five years old, trust me, it's not sex. But when you're five, you're going to ask for more food and you're going to sneak eat it and you're going to start this whole weird pattern that starts out. There you go. So you go into anyone who's had this kind of an issue. I will guarantee you they have addictive eating problems. And I've definitely seen that in my work as well. I mean, that, that trauma is there and these kind of coping mechanisms, whatever a child has to do to cope with that psychological distress, they'll, they'll do. I know. And so it's our job now um, to really go back and to actually, there's a fantastic test you can give your clients. It was uh, developed by Dr. Vince Felitti, and this is called the Adverse Childhood um, experience, and it's only 10 questions. It's called ACE, A-C-E, 
the adverse childhood experience. And when you actually Google the ACE website, I'm telling you now, it will blow your mind when you see the consequences of having a higher score. Obesity is one of them. Drug addiction, addiction per se is another one. Oh my gosh, it just blows your mind. So I'm just saying we got to keep all this in mind when we're thinking about food addiction because it's not just someone who's stuffing their face in the corner because they're just out of control and they, they need to get a life here. You're talking about people, many of them are wounded big time. And whether they have the genes for obesity or not, the addictive eating part of this, right, really pops up big time from what happened to people in their own life. Yeah, and I think in our culture, people who are struggling with that, especially if they are showing the outward signs of it as of obesity, they're really on an uphill battle socially and in so many aspects. And yet behind a lot of that is what you're saying is that trauma, someone who needs support and help and encouragement. Yep. And so I've given you a bit of a glimpse into this whole world so that you understand that it's a real thing. It's scientifically founded that food addiction exists. It's a big deal. And we we have to honor that. And we need to have programs to be able to address this so that people aren't just slammed on some silly diet or whatever, or sadly go off and do some faddish things that they keep one of the easiest things to do is start just eliminate processed food around you. That's your heroin. That's your meth. That's your stuff. Get it out of there. That's a great place for them to to be able to start and and to be able to take some action. Because I think a lot of people who struggle with food, I mean, they really feel helpless because it's everywhere, especially the sugar. I mean, it's in everything. You go out to eat, it's in everything. You go to the grocery store, it's in everything. It's hard to get away from it. Well, it's that. And also the other piece to this is that it is really important to understand that you need to have support throughout this whole thing. So I highly recommend you know, that you get with a registered dietitian, not just somebody off the street, but someone who's a registered dietitian. I'm a registered dietitian fanatic because they've gone through the hell of the internship, all the licensing and training to be able to understand how to do this. Also, there are a lot of them out there are subspecialists who work specifically with this kind of an issue. So ask, look around, RDs are where it's at. And in my book, I used RDs to really put together the uh, food programs and, and show how really easy it is and how accessible it is to be able to do this. Dr. Peek, I want to thank you so much for coming on to The Addicted Mind and sharing all your wisdom and knowledge. I know there's a lot of people out there that struggle with this and uh, just your wisdom to let them know that there's hope and there's help out there. Just really want to thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I, I'm giving you a shout out for getting the message out and helping people. Because honestly, we need all the help we can get, all the experts like you, all of the voices out there that are helping message this. It's terribly important. And I'm more than happy to help people if they really need it. I've got a team. And so if people want to go to my website, which is Dr. Peak, that's D-R-P as in Paul, 
E as in Edward, E as in Edward, K-E.com, or go to my Facebook. Um, that's my professional Facebook. It's Dr. Pam Peek, P-A-M, and then P-E-E-K-E. And you can actually give me a shout out either place. On my website, there's a contact us form and just say, hey, can you help me? And something, my answer is yes. And you could listen to my book, The Hunger Fix, on audible.com, or you can get the Kindle or uh, the paperback. And The Hunger Fix will help provide you all the science that I just talked about right now and even more. And then as well, a lot of wonderful resources to be able to use to switch out the foods and to start establishing the foundation for a healthier lifestyle. Awesome. And I'm going to put all that information in the show notes as well. So that'll be at the addictedmind.com forward slash 35. And I'll uh, list all that information as well. So if anybody wants to get it, they can go there and uh, they can get all that. Once again, Dr. Peak, thank you so much for coming on. You're most welcome. Keep it rocking. Thanks everyone for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. All the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 35. If you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes. That really does help a lot. Also, I love to hear from you guys. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Go to theaddictedmind.com forward slash 35 and leave a comment. I love to hear from you guys and to hear what you guys are thinking. So please do that. That means a lot to me. All right, everybody. I will see you next week. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.